Baptism, such a great, great celebration. It's a thing given to us by God that enables us to signify and to represent what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. It's something that we are commanded to do, but like with all things that God commands us, when we do it, we experience incredible blessings. Now, over the years, I've heard lots of different reasons why people might not get baptized. One of them is it's kind of tough to get up in front of a large group. <laughs> it can be intimidating and overwhelming, and I completely and totally agree with that. I've also heard, you know, sometimes people will say, I'm just not ready. My life isn't ready yet. Like, I, I need to, I got to make sure I got all my, uh, I got all my sort of ducks in a row. I got all things together. I understand that as well. Uh, sometimes people will say, I'd like to do it with a child or with a friend or with a family member, and they're not ready yet, so I'm going to wait, and I'd like to be baptized with them. Others have said, I just, I don't really like the way our church does it. I would prefer to do it a different way, and so uh, maybe I'll wait for another season in life, or maybe uh, some people have thought, you know, I kind of want to wait and use it maybe later on in life if I need to kind of rededicate my life to the Lord or something like that and kind of use it and save it for sometime in the future. Others might think, well, it's just kind of a churchy ritual sort of thing, and like you can just kind of go through it for rote reasons, and it's not really a part of salvation, which it's not. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You just simply believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, and, and you're saved. And so some have said, well, why do I really need to go through a ceremony? That feels kind of like a ritualistic, rote kind of thing to do, and I prefer to just kind of believe and not participate in those sorts of things. Others have said, uh, I was baptized as a baby and I'm afraid that if I got baptized as an adult, a believing adult or a believing child, it might hurt my parents' feelings or others who put me through that ceremony when I was a baby. Some people's reasons for not getting baptized is they just simply haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> uh, Lots and lots of reasons why Christians don't get baptized. But I want to tell you that in all of my years, I've only ever heard one valid reason for not being baptized. And that is being the sinless son of God. Amen. Now that's a valid reason for not getting baptized. But the thing that's fascinating to me is the one person in history who can actually claim that as a valid reason, Jesus, he got baptized. Which raises the question, what about the rest of us that don't have valid, compelling reasons? If the one person who didn't need to get baptized actually did, what does that say to the rest of us who have refused to do it? More than that, if Jesus got baptized even though it really made no sense logically for him to do so, what does that say to the rest of us who are asked by God to do things beyond baptism that make no sense to us? This morning we want to talk about the power of submission of submitting to what God asks us to do even when it makes no sense to us or to others around us as exemplified by baptism 
but going beyond that into all areas of the Christian life. And we want to recognize there is a power and a blessing that comes from saying, all right, it doesn't make sense, but this is what God's asking me to do. I'm going to do it. Let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we'd love for you to just take one of the Bibles from the rack in front of you and open it up to page 784. That's Matthew chapter 3. We're in a sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, and so far, we've kind of been through the prelude. So we heard about the genealogy of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. We read about Jesus spending time as a young child, as a refugee in Egypt, Jesus being raised in Nazareth. And then last week, we looked at John the Baptist coming on the scene to introduce Jesus' adult ministry. And in just a minute, we're going to see Jesus not as a little baby and not as a child, but as an adult on the scene, ready to begin his ministry. And the very first thing that Jesus does as an adult that we see in the scriptures is that he gets baptized. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now John was given a baptism of repentance. You can see that earlier in Matthew chapter 3 verse 6 where it says they came to John confessing their sins and were baptized by him. This is a baptism of confession and repentance because John has been sent by God to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming as the Messiah and as the Savior, but you don't need a Savior if you don't have any sin. And so John comes to help people begin to identify ways in which they have fallen short of what God wants for them so that God can send his son Jesus to rescue and save them. Well, you can understand John's confusion when Jesus, the sinless Son of God, shows up for a baptism of confession and repentance. John looks at him and says, what are you doing here? Like of all people in history, the one person who doesn't need to be baptized is Jesus because he has no sin. Jesus' response to John is essentially, I understand what you're saying. But this is God's plan. So we're just going to do it. There's a sense in which, even though it makes no logical sense, why would someone who is sinless have a baptism of confession and repentance? Jesus says, it's the plan. It's what my Father has come up with. 
this is what I'm going to do. Now, not only does it make no sense, remember, there's lots of people watching people get baptized. There are Pharisees and Sadducees who Jason took us through that passage last week. They're not being baptized and they're kind of standing back rather aloof thinking, what a bunch of fools, what are they doing? There's also a whole lot of people who are all gathered around and they all know they're there to confess their sins and to repent. And so what do you think they assume Jesus is there for? They're not privy to this whole theological conversation. Yes, we've come to understand that in order for Jesus to be a savior of sinners, he has to associate himself with sinners. That's why he's going through John's baptism. But nobody there at that time knows those things. And so what do you think of Jesus, they think of Jesus when they see him getting baptized? They think he's a sinner. So you could actually make the argument that not only does this make no sense for Jesus to do this, this actually could potentially be seen as harmful to his public ministry. These people who need to understand that he has no sin might think he has sin because he's getting baptized. But again, Jesus doesn't care. This is what I was asked to do. This is what I'm going to do. And so he comes to John and says, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now there's a second person in the story who submits to something that they don't think makes any sense for them to do, and that's not just Jesus getting baptized, it's John doing the baptism. Remember, John has been preaching one message. There is somebody coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. The Messiah is coming, and he is so great and so wonderful and so from God that me, a mere human, is not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then Jesus shows up and says, okay, John, you got to baptize me. And John says, what? I need to be baptized by you, and you want me to do the baptism? I have a little sense of how John probably felt in this moment. I can't even imagine baptizing Jesus. Could you imagine how that would feel? I have a little sense of it. Early on when I was a senior pastor here at Calvary Church, there was a man on staff named Jim Carlson. Some of you know him quite well. He was in a role similar to the one Tom is in now. And right when I was becoming the senior pastor, Jim, who had had a long, successful marriage uh, to his wife, Karen, she passed away tragically during that season. And I think I was probably 30, well, I was 33 years old at the time when she passed away. And then a year or two later, uh, the Lord brought Denise into Jim's life. And so I'd been the pastor here at Calvary for maybe just a, just a year or two. Uh, not been married that long. I was in my mid-30s. He was in his mid-60s, having had a very successful marriage. And he comes to me and he says, would you officiate my wedding? And I thought, well, I don't, I don't feel worthy to do that. I mean, this is the person who had been my pastor here at Calvary and had been a mentor and had really taught me how to do weddings. But I consented and I was like, okay, well, somebody's got to officiate it. He's asked me to do it. All right, I'll do it. But the really, really humbling thing was when he said, and we'd like you to do our premarital counseling. 
I was like, what? I'm like, I need marriage counseling from you, and you coming to me for marriage counseling? How in the world can that be? And he said to me, you're the one officiating the wedding. You should give us our marriage counseling. So by the, just the kindness and grace of God, Jim and Denise sat through. I mean, I think I'd been married like seven or eight years at that point. I tried to just share something with them from the Bible about how to be successful in marriage. It felt ludicrous while I was doing it. <laughs> now, if any of you know Jim and Denise, they've had a very beautiful, successful marriage. And I would just like to say it had zero to do with anything I might have shared with them. And everything to do with the fact that if you've got the kind of humility to ask somebody to give you premarital counsel simply because, well, they're the person officiating the wedding, it's the right thing to do. And if you have the humility to sit through and listen to that, God is going to bless that. So it says here, when Jesus comes to John, he says, this is the role God has given you to do. I need to be baptized. You need to be the one to do it. Look what it says at the end of verse 15. Then John consented. And I want you to look up here because I want you to sort of visually see what this means. The word consented literally means to let go. So John is holding on to this idea, which is true, that he is not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals, let alone baptize him. John is holding on to the idea, well, this is the sinless son of God. He doesn't need to be baptized. And at this point, when Jesus comes to him and says, this is the father's plan, John just simply lets go. He lets go of his objections. He lets go of what he's holding on to. And he consents to baptize Jesus. Now watch the blessing that comes for both Jesus and John by submitting to these things that make no sense to either one of them. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. What does Jesus receive in his submission, the Holy Spirit. God sends his spirit upon Jesus at this moment. It's not weeks earlier or months earlier. Jesus was still sinless and still godly and still the son of God during that time. But when he submits to the father's plan that makes no sense to him, that God now has the avenue to send on him his Holy Spirit and Jesus gets to hear God the Father's voice saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I love the thought that at the time Jesus is being baptized, there's people everywhere. There's no sort of microphones. There. John the Baptist is not explaining. Oh, by the way, this is Jesus. He has no sin, but we're going to baptize him just because we're supposed to. He's just is going through this, and the crowds are watching, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who think that John is a bit crazy are sitting back thinking, what a fool about Jesus. And all the other people are going, well, that guy's just like we are. He's got all the same sins we do. At that moment... When everybody else is thinking false things about him, what does Jesus hear? He hears God the Father saying, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. 
You're doing what I asked you to do. Well done. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When Jesus submits, even though it makes no sense, he receives the Holy Spirit and affirmation from the Father. What does John get? Well, he gets a front row seat to watching this happen. (laughs) He gets to see the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus, and he gets to hear God's voice in that moment. You see, baptism is not simply some ritual. Those of you who've been baptized either as a believing child or a believing adult, you recognize and understand. Could you see it today? Something happened when people come up out of that water. And it's not just simply the glow of the reflection of light off their face. There is something happening. The Holy Spirit, you can see a joy often on people's face. You can see something shining in them, on them, through them. Something powerful is happening in baptism. In fact, one of the most important passages for the sort of spiritual world or spiritual warfare comes in James chapter 4. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, come near to God and he will come near to you. When we submit to God, even when it makes no sense, Satan has to flee. This is the one thing he cannot abide is submission because it's the one thing he didn't do. And when you and I submit to God, that opens an avenue for God's spirit to come in power into our life and Satan cannot be in his presence when he's honest like that. And so it's no surprise that at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit is present. And it's no surprise that John gets a front row seat to watching the Holy Spirit do something. This is how it works. When you and I submit to God, even when it makes no sense, Satan has to flee. And we draw near to God as he draws near to us. That's what's happening for Jesus. That's what's happening for John. Now, we should also talk about the people who don't get baptized in Matthew 3. What happens to them? You see, there are a group of religious leaders. Jason talked about them last week. Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, and religious leaders who are observing what is happening but not submitting to it. What happens to them? We'll turn over in the book of Matthew to chapter 21. We get to see what turns out, how their story turns out. Matthew 21, page 802. So Matthew 3 is the beginning of Jesus' adult ministry. Matthew 21, we've just turned through a bunch of pages where there are miracles, there are teachings, there are revelations from God through Jesus. And we get to Matthew 21, which is right near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And in verse 23, we have this interaction between Jesus and those who weren't baptized by John in Matthew 3. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And here's his question. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven 
or of human origin. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? In other words, if this was from God, why didn't you get baptized? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. How did the religious leaders miss these amazing miracles that Jesus is doing through Matthew's gospel? How is it that they will hear teaching from the Son of God and not recognize it as being from God? Because they didn't get baptized. Baptism is just the first step in a journey of submission to God. Baptism is not the thing that makes you a Christian. It's after you place your faith in Jesus as Lord. It's the first thing we're asked to do on a journey that includes more than just baptism. But because these men were not willing to submit to the first thing that God asked them to do, the rest of it didn't make any sense along the way. They missed it totally and completely. Why does John the Baptist not miss it? Why does Jesus not miss what God is up to? Why is he able to understand the authority that is taking place in his ministry? Because he's baptized. Because he submits to what God asks him to do each step of the way. And those who sat back and kind of observed, those who thought, well, that's not for me. Those who thought, that's what sinners do. That's for other people. We see at the end of Jesus' ministry, They've missed everything along the way. And so the message that I have this morning from this passage in Matthew 3 is for two different groups of people here. The first is for those who have not yet been baptized as believers. Listen to what we say every week at the end of the book of Matthew in our benediction. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is not something that is commanded for some people who believe in Jesus. It is something that is commanded for all people who believe in Jesus. And if the person who had the one person who had a valid reason not to get baptized, got baptized, what do you think that means for you and I who don't have valid reasons not to obey this command? Now let me say something to those who were baptized as babies. I too was baptized as a baby. And you may be wondering, well, if I was baptized as a baby, am I allowed to get rebaptized as a believing adult? Let me say this to you as kindly and gently as I can. One of the things that's so powerful about Matthew 3 is that Jesus... He's not a baby when he's baptized. He's an adult. He's made a decision for himself. That's the power of submission. Mary and Joseph are godly parents. 
Of course they would have had him baptized. They had him circumcised, which was the version of dedication that many use child baptism for today. Jesus went through that. But when he is an adult, he makes a decision for himself. And that is where the power is at. In his choice to submit, he receives the Holy Spirit, not Mary and Joseph. It's his submission. He's the one who hears God's voice, not Mary and Joseph. He hears God's voice. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph heard God's voice in a different kind of way when they had Jesus circumcised because they were obeying what they were supposed to be doing. But Jesus as an adult, having been dedicated as a baby to the covenant, now makes the decision for himself to be baptized. And you might be asking the question, well, if I was sort of dedicated as a baby, can I be baptized as a believing adult? There's actually a story in the Bible of people getting rebaptized with a different baptism once they understand what's going on. It's in Acts 19. Let me show it to you very quickly. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Then he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, well, what baptism did you go through? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. In other words, John's baptism was a baptism that is not given to people who believed. It was given to people to help prepare them for faith that might come later. That John's was a dedicatory baptism. When they heard this, or on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They made their own decision to be baptized. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So yes, if you, like me, were baptized as a baby, if you, like me, read a passage like this and think, well, Jesus not only had a dedicatory event when he was a baby, he made a decision for himself as a believing adult, Yes, you may be baptized in the name of Jesus and go through what Jesus did and receive what he did. So let me close this session, section to the people who have not yet been baptized as a believer. I just want you to simply think about this question. Someday, every one of us will stand before Jesus. The one person who had a valid reason not to be baptized, who got baptized. What will you say to him on that day was your reason for not being baptized? And do you think you will give him a reason that he's going to accept? Just think about that. Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide as he will. There's a second group that I think needs to hear this message this morning. And that's for those who are Christians who have been baptized. And this is because the Great Commission that we read at the end of Matthew 28 doesn't stop with the command to be baptized. Can we put up the rest of the, or can we put the benediction back up? After it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything 
I have commanded you. Baptism is just the first thing on a journey of having to obey many different things that might not make sense to us. And for those who are here who have been baptized, let me just say to you, well done. You have obeyed the Lord and whether it made sense to you or whether you were scared to do it or whether you understood exactly everything that you were doing, whether your life was exactly where it needed to be, you didn't take all of that into account. You simply submitted and obeyed. And let me just encourage you. That's a pattern for how the rest of following Jesus works. And that this morning, there may be something in your life that God is asking you to submit to that makes no sense to you. God's teachings on sexuality and gender often make no sense. God's requests of us that we give money to his work when A, he doesn't need our money, and B, we sometimes can't afford to give it. That often makes no sense. God's instructions to us, some of us he's asked to remain single even though we want to be married. Some God has not let have a biological child even though you desperately want to be a mother or a father. Submitting to those things, they make no sense. I want this desperately. God seems to want it. Why can't it happen? Submitting to God and having to share the gospel with somebody when you're like, I know they're going to ask me a question that I can't answer. Submitting to God. God often asks us to do things and submit to leaders that we're like, well, that person doesn't really seem to know what they're doing. That doesn't make sense. Why would you submit to such a person? God asks us to submit to incorporating Sabbath in our weeks, to coming to church, to being participating in what's going on. There are lots and lots and lots of things that God asks us to do that really make no sense. And the question for you and I who have been baptized, is there something today that God is asking you to submit to? That even the people around you are like, don't do that. But you know that God is calling you to do this. The encouragement is, is what you did in baptism, that opened you up to the Holy Spirit and to affirmation from the Father. What you do in this situation will also allow you to be full of the Spirit and open you up to affirmation from the Father. So for both groups, those who've not yet been baptized as Christians and those who have but are facing some other decision, here's what I'd like you to remember as we close out this time. This picture of John the Baptist holding on to all his reasons, good, logical, theologically sound reasons, as to why he is unworthy to baptize Jesus. Jesus, having reasons why he does not need to go through a baptism of confession and repentance. And I want you just to think of this picture of just letting go. Because when John let go of what he was holding on to, his hands were now open to receive Jesus and baptize him. And when you and I let go of whatever it is that we keep shaking our fists and going, God, this doesn't make any sense. Why can't you just fix this? Why won't you do this thing I'm asking you to do? Why are you telling me to do something I'm not qualified to do? When we stop shaking our fist, when we stop holding on so tightly to good, logical, rational reasons, 
and we simply let go, then we can receive the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like each of us to do this morning is just close your heads, or close your eyes and bow your heads. Close your heads too. (laughs) Close your eyes, bow your heads. And then out in front of you, I'd like you to hold your two fists clenched in front of you. And just in the quiet of your own heart, I just want you to think, what is that thing that God is asking you to do? It might be baptism. It might be something beyond baptism. That you're holding on to reasons why you don't want to do it. What's the thing he's asked you to accept? Is it singleness for a season? Is it the troubles of infertility? Is it sharing a gospel with somebody that you just are scared to death to do? Is it trusting him financially by giving in a way that you're just not sure how you're going to make it happen, how the bills are going to get paid? Does it have something to do with dealing with situations in your marriage that you wouldn't prefer? Is it a health battle that you just wish God would just wave his hand and make go away? Is there somebody or something that you're holding on to that you don't want to let go of? And I just want you to think of the reasons why you're holding on to this thing. They could be good, logical reasons. They could be valid, compelling reasons. And then I want you just simply by an act of faith to unclench your fists and open up your hands. Keep your hands out in front of you. Because in just a minute, I'm going to pray that God will help you let go of whatever it is you're holding on to so that you can receive in your open hands the Holy Spirit. Father, you have given us a story this morning of the ultimate example of Jesus submitting to what made no sense to him, John, or anybody else. God, here in this room in front of you, there are men and women, children, God, who are wanting to receive the Holy Spirit and to hear affirmation from you. God, I pray that we would let go of whatever it is, the arguments, the rules, the reasons, the things we've come up with for why life should work the way we want it to work. And may we be like John the Baptist and simply consent. May we let those things go. May we hear you say to us, this is the plan, walk in it. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now with their hands extended. Would you give them the courage to let go of whatever it is they're holding on to? And would you fill their hands with the Holy Spirit? May they hear in their ears your voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. And well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to follow Jesus on this path, for we pray this in his name. Amen.